She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast. Season 4. Episode 16. Unrequited. This episode is a Monster of the Week episode and originally aired on Sunday, February 23rd, 1997 at 9pm. Eastern Pacific. Yes. As we learned. 8 p.m. Central Mountain. (laughs) Yeah. So in this episode, it would appear an MIA soldier is no longer MIA, but working to make those he blames DOA. Ooh. Yay, more Vietnam stuff in the 90s. Not yay. I mean, I don't, I've talked about this before. I really am not into war stories in any way. Like, I don't care for things that are said during world war one or world war two or vietnam like it's just not something i enjoy watching i think like mash is probably the exception so i'm just not into those things yeah well we just came off of another vietnam episode too that is almost we did well it's not similar but it's got a similar theme it's got a similar element similar theme and also this one's called unrequited so i was expecting it to be some kind of like love spell type thing or something so when i started watching it i'm like oh what's going on here because you think unrequited you think like unrequited love you know i don't know or some serial killer going around killing women because like they don't want to go out with him or something so yeah who knows yeah Yeah. some monsters also not great (laughs) but you know so yeah yeah This episode was filmed in British Columbia, Canada, and it was written by Howard Gordon and Chris Carter and directed by Michael Lang. Hmm. I was thinking about it, and I don't think I can separate the Howard Gordon and Chris Carter parts. No, I can't either. There's no way. I mean, Chris Carter, I can sometimes pinpoint his dialogue. He has a very specific way of writing Mulder talking, especially Mulder. Um, and then also, like, his monologues are very obvious. Yeah. But in this one, yeah, it's definitely a joint effort. And I can't tell where the, like, who did what. There are, now I think, there are a couple of parts that we're going to get to where Scully is adamantly skeptical. Like, to the point of being irritated that someone is suggesting that she's not. And uh, th- those might be Chris Carter. So, <laughs> those might be. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess, I, I guess, and I guess, like the story ideas was mainly Howard Carter, and then I guess they worked on it together. Howard so, Gordon, yeah. Howard C- Carter. Why do you call him Howard Carter? Because <laughs> you're, you're mixing the names together. <laughs> you're combining Chris Carter and Howard Gordon into one person. <laughs> Maybe who discovered Tutankhamun's tomb? Oh my God! So, and I also always think that Howard Carter is Hawkman, but he's not. That's not the name in the comics, but I think because of the Tutankhamun thing, I always think of Hawkman as Howard Carter, not Howard Carter. Anyway, not Howard Carter who wrote this either. Howard Gordon and Chris Carter. So we are at the U.S. Capitol Mall near the Vietnam War Memorial in Washington, D.C. A crowd cheers as General Block gives a speech about how it's shameful that some soldiers came home to hostility from the American people and then goes on to talking about honoring soldiers and to remember those who fell and that men and women whose ultimate sacrifice can never be forgotten. Freedom is not free. All yeah. that kind of stuff. Got Generic the big, like, military speech, right? Yeah, just, I got the big old patent flag behind him and just oh. all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And Skinner is there and through his earpiece, he asks the others to report in. And Scully is like, Sector 4, clear. And then there's another guy who's got Sector 3. And then Mulder, is Mulder Sector 6, I think? Is that what he is? I forget. I but anyway, didn't write it down, and I do not remember. Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't respond at first. And then he's like, he's here. I feel him. And Skinner's like, well, then where is he? And then Scully sees someone in Section 4 and thinks it's their guy. And then she makes positive ID using a photo of the guy. And then she starts following him through the crowd. And then the other agent spots him as well, and he's in Section 3, and then he's like, he's heading towards you, Scully. So he's, like, just zigzagging all the way through Sections 3 and 4, apparently. And then Mulder tells Scully not to take her eyes off him, and then the suspect spots Scully and then heads towards the sound booth, but then Scully loses him. 
And then she and the other agents are confused, and we get like a top view of them like standing in this little area that's all clear and looking around, and they can't find him. And they're like, they must be heading towards you, Mulder. And then Mulder sees him, but then he like vanishes, and Skinner's like, he's right in front of you, Mulder. And then Mulder sees him again, and he has a gun, so Mulder draws his gun, and then the dude like just disappears and then Skinner grabs General Block and is like, get him off the stage. And then, like I said, Mulder's got his gun on him. He's like, I can't see him. I can't see him. Cause he's like right in front of Mulder and just disappeared. Mm-hmm. And then it's the theme song. Yep. And it's really, I'm doing this teaser a lot of credit cause it sounds much more interesting than it is, honestly. <laughs> so, I mean, I'll admit I wasn't bored yet. <laughs> I so was, I was I was kind of like, but... okay, what's going on? Okay, this guy's vanishing in the crowd that he can turn invisible. This could be okay. Yeah, I don't know how much we need to see like Scully walking around looking for people and the other dude <laughs> looking and not seeing people. And it's like, okay, we get it. We get it. We get it. Like, we didn't need all that. But anyway. Yeah. yeah. The vanishing man in the opening, who we'll learn is Nathan Teeger. Is, is played he? by Yes. He's oh, played boy. by Peter Lacroix. Or LaCroix. LaCroix. Honestly, not sure which one. He's been in true previous episodes of The X-Files, EBE, which was season one, episode 17, and Ascension, which was season two, episode six. Was he a truck driver in EBE? You know, I I don't remember. I looked. I should have written it in here because I looked when I put these notes in and I don't recall. I wonder if he's the truck driver. Okay. This is his last X-Files role, though. So it's the last time we'll see him on the show. Mm. Bye. Bye-bye. Nice General you. Block is played by Scott Highlands, who played Detective Kevin Obie O'Brien in the 1980 series Night Heat. So that was his biggest role, as far as I could tell. He's mm. also appeared in episodes of Project UFO in 1978, The Ooh. Twilight Zone, Eureka, and Supernatural. Whoa. So then we're at Fort Evanston, Maryland, and it's 12 hours earlier. And we see this helicopter land on a side street on the military base and Lieutenant General McDougal gets out and he heads for this waiting limousine and then he gets into the car. The helicopter takes off and the limo drives away. In the back of the limo, McDougal opens his briefcase and he starts to read through some files and then he closes the window between himself and the driver. So he's got privacy because maybe that stuff is classified. I think the driver does that. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But either way, the window closes. So he is... Now alone back there. The doors lock. Yeah. Which is another reason why I think it was a driver. But Oh, gotcha. Okay. Under the file that he pulls up, he finds a playing card. It's a king of hearts. And he turns it over. And on the backside is a bloody skull and crossbones with actually like <gasps> these two sabers kind of as the crossbones. So it's like a skull and sabers type thing. Yeah. He looks up and suddenly there's a man sitting across from him. And we see it's the man who went invisible in the teaser. So, whoa, maybe he was in the car the whole time. Maybe. McDougal's like, who the hell are you? How did you get in here? And the man says nothing, but he draws a gun and he aims it at McDougal and then he fires. And then we see the soldier driving the limo and he hears the shot. So we don't really see the shot. We just see the driver hear it. And he veers off the road and he parks and he runs to the back and he opens the car door And he finds McDougal in there dead with a bullet wound in the middle of his forehead. But there's no one else in the car with him. (gasps) Yeah. Also, he was the truck driver at EB. I double checked. Okay. (laughs) Good to know. So he's the one who's kind of getting all sick and stuff, right? Because the. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yes. So then we're at FBI headquarters. and It's November 12th. 7 18 a.m and skinner tells a group at a conference table that lieutenant general peter mcdougall was shot at close range this morning the wound was not self-inflicted and the murder weapon hasn't been recovered the driver private first class gus burkholder is currently being held on suspicion of murder one of the agents at the table says the naa confirmed burkholder wasn't the shooter skinner says there's suspicion of an accomplice based on a piece of evidence found at the scene a death card. He's got <gasps> it in the plastic. He's like, these were used by Vietnam soldiers to mark their kills. Burkholder has possible ties to a radical group called the Right Hand, whose stated goal is violent revolution. Ooh. Yeah. Mulder and Scully enter. 
Skinner continues that General Block, who is seated right there at the table next to him, believes there is a high possibility the group is using this opportunity of so many high-ranking military officials being in D.C. today for the rededication of the Vietnam Veterans War Memorial. Until they have a clear motive, any one of them could be a target. Mulder asks, what if Burkholder is telling the truth without being innocent? And Skinner says, until they can find another subject, the FBI will pursue the right hand and their leader, Denny Markham. He tells him they all have a copy of his file, and for obvious reasons, that's to be kept from the media. Everyone will be working in teams of two. Skinner tells him they have 12 hours to prevent any further loss of life, and the meeting ends. Oh, yeah. Mulder and Scully approach Skinner. Scully asks him if that was for the general's benefit or if he's been able to develop a strategy. Skinner says he's flying by the seat of his pants. And Mulder's like, you mean there's no procedure for an invisible assassin? (laughs) Oh, Mulder. Skinner ignores that and asks Scully if she talked to Burkholder. Scully interviewed him and convinced him to take a polygraph, which he passed. But Scully points out that the results are not conclusive. Because they're fake. Yeah, I mean, uh, polygraphs never are. Skinner says he needs something to devise a strategy around. Scully asks him to let her and Mulder serve the warrant to Markham. Skinner is a little nervous about that because he says one misstep and Markham will disappear and find another way to trigger whatever attack they're planning. So they need to be really careful. But then he does hand them the warrant. Whoa. Then we're in Demeter, Virginia, and it's 8.48 a.m. Mulder and Scully drive down a dirt road, and we see this symbol of a hand is posted on a tree. As they reach the gate, the same symbol is on the gate. So, obviously means something. They buzz the call box, and they tell Markham who they are, and that it's urgent that they speak with him. Finally, he says, gate's unlocked. As they walk in, a group of Rottweilers bounds out of a car. It's like this parked car. And they run out and they start chasing them. And they chase them back through the gate as they bark. Um, And then they close the gate to keep the dogs inside. So, you know, obviously Markham was kind of fucking with them. Mm. Markham comes out of the house and he whistles for the dogs who stop barking and sit because they are well-trained and behaved. And they're so they're puppies. I just want to pet them. (laughs) Markham walks up to the gate and asks what they want. Scully tells him about the murder of General McDougal and that his group is under suspicion of killing him, including Burkholder. Markham says he doesn't know the name Burkholder, but they tell him he's on the right hand's mailing list. He lets them know that there are 2,000 names on that list, so he clearly doesn't know everyone on it. Scully tells him they have a copy of the list and they want to go over it with him. Markham says he's not going anywhere. But Scully shows him the warrant and says they will arrest him if he doesn't cooperate. And then suddenly the dogs run off towards something on the other side of the yard. And Markham turns around and he sees all these soldiers squatting near the edge of the fence. So apparently Mulder and Scully brought backup, whether they knew it or not. Yeah. It's not just backup. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And Mulder's like, there goes the neighborhood. So it was Mm kind of funny. So, yeah, so I'm guessing maybe they knew they were going to be there. I don't know. Markham tells them the right hand is preparing for the day when lives will have to be sacrificed in the fight against the corrupt federal government. But that day has not come yet. So he's like, I'll I'll cooperate. I'll cooperate. That's his way of saying that. (laughs) Well, he's now surrounded by armed soldiers on all ends of his property. He doesn't have much of a choice. Yeah. Scully asks if he'll take a polygraph, and Markham says his word is good enough. Mulder holds up an evidence bag that holds the death card and asks what his word is on that. Markham asks where it came from and says that more men are going to die. And then later, the little doggies are in cages. And the soldiers are pulling weapons out of Markham's trailer. He's got, like, rocket launchers. They're carrying (laughs) all kinds of stuff. Anyway. Mulder shows Scully a photo of Markham with another man, and Markham told him that man is the man who killed McDougal. The man's name is Nathaniel Teeger. 26 confirmed sole enemy kills. He was a killing machine. And then he was left for dead by the same government that created him. Mulder's like, left for dead? And Markham explains that he belonged to the B-11, a squad known as the Bloody Sabres. They were being transported when their chopper was shot down. There were no survivors. And Mulder is like, well, when was this photo taken? This you and him together. And Markham says in December of 1995, 
right after the right hand liberated him from a POW camp just outside the U Minh forest. Scully says the government confirmed there were no more POWs in Vietnam back in 1973. And Markham is like, well, maybe that's why they tried to kidnap Tiger when they brought him home. Commandos boarded their plane in San Diego to take him, but when they opened the cargo hold where he had been, he was already gone. Markham never figured out how. Scully puts Markham in the back of their car. So there, he's been handcuffed the whole time while he's talking. Uh Uh-huh. And I think we can guess how Tiger got out of that cargo hold. Which is he wasn't, that he, he didn't, didn't get out. He was invisible. He was invisible. He was yeah. sitting there the whole time going, ha ha, he can't see me. Yep. Apparently he doesn't need to get buck naked to be invisible, though. That's, that's convenient, I guess. So. Yeah, I mean, if you can make your clothes disappear, too, that's way more convenient. Yeah. So Scully and Mulder walk a little ways away, and Scully asks if Mulder really believes a phantom POW left for dead is coming back to avenge the injustice. Mulder thinks that due to Burkholder's polygraph, Markham's story might be the best lead they've got. Scully says Markham can take a polygraph then, but she's sure he won't pass. I mean, it doesn't really matter if he passes or not. No. And Denny Markham is played by Larry Musser, whom you may recognize as Detective Manners in the episode Jose Chung's From Outer Space. Mm. He was also in Diane Diverlitz. And he'll be in one more episode of The X-Files, as well as one episode of Millennium. Oh. Yeah, he totally looked familiar. So. Yeah. That's why I was like, wait, who is that guy? He's Detective Manners. Yep, <laughs> you bleeping Detective bleep. Manners. <laughs> <laughs> you got your bleeping UFO. Yeah. Oh, stupid episode. I didn't think it was kind of like, the dude is like, right after we went back to Vietnam and rescued him, and Scully's like, well, you know, the government says there weren't any POWs. I was like, dude, Scully, just like keep it to yourself. You don't need to antagonize people like that. Come on. No, but we need to know as the audience that like the government is saying that there were no POWs, so his story doesn't truck with the official account. Sometimes they just write her to you like, shut up. Like. They they definitely make her the voice of like if not reason then like we're going to use her for whatever narrative explanations we need the audience to know even if it makes her sound ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, they do that. They do that a lot. Yeah, and I fall for it every time. <laughs> so then we see a woman who is standing in front of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, looking at the name Gary Davenport, and she sets some flowers down. And then Tigra approaches her and asks if she's Renee Davenport, wife of Lance Corporal Gary Davenport. And she says yes and asks if she knows him. And Tigra says that he's there on Gary's behalf as he's a prisoner of war. And she's like, Gary is dead. And he's like, no, ma'am. And then he hands her Gary's dog tags. <gasps> and she looks at them and she's like, because <gasps> obviously she thinks her husband's been dead for like probably at least 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. And she's like, who gave these to you? And then she looks back up, and Tiger is gone. Oh. <gasps> it is commercial. And Renee Davenport is played by Leslie Ewan. This is her fourth and last appearance on The X-Files, although she's appeared in three previous episodes, including she was the receptionist in the pilot. So she was in the first episode ever. She will also be in an episode of Millennium. And she played Serena Chang on The Sentinel and has also appeared in episodes of Stargate SG-1, Doctor Who, and The Witcher. Oh. And in that scene where she's looking at Gary Davenport's name, Nathaniel Teeger's name is also clearly visible, like directly below Gary Davenport, uh-huh. which makes sense because of the way the names are ordered on the memorial. They're ordered like in order of casualty. So like when they... Uh-huh. And so since they were in the same group... They would, they would be grouped together. Been, they would be grouped yeah. together. Yeah. And while it's commonly referred to as like the Vietnam Memorial or the Vietnam War Memorial, the site is officially known as the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, which includes the wall as its most prominent feature, but also includes the three servicemen statue, the Veterans Women's Memorial, and the in memory plaque, and a flagpole with an etching of the insignia of what were at the time the country's five military branches. With the exception of the flag, Everything but the wall itself was actually added later. So the three soldier statue was in 1984. The women's memorial was in 1993. So those both would have been around and this episode is made. And then in 2004, there was the in-memory plaque that was also added. So, mm-hmm. And the memorial is part of the National Park Service. So. Yep, I've been there. 
Oh, cool. Yeah, I've been to lots of the prominent DC locations, including like the Lincoln Memorial, the Jefferson Memorial, most of the Smithsonian museums. I went to DC and we went to the I went to the Lincoln Memorial and the pond and all that kind of stuff, you know. Actually, mm-hmm. when, when I was there, the pool was empty. They had, they had drained it. And uh, so I didn't get to see all that nice shiny water. Also was there at night. Went to the Korean Memorial, but I don't think uh, I went with Jeff, my friend and former podcast companion. And I don't think we went to the Vietnam one, though. I don't remember. So I'm, I'm assuming we didn't because I think I would remember that. Right. It, yeah. Large. So, it is very yeah. large. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Korean one is pretty cool though especially if you go at night because they've got it lit like, oh nice it's almost like ghosts and stuff it's pretty freaky yeah but it's pretty cool so, nice yeah. yeah i don't think i went to that one i did go to a lot of the places but you know couldn't hit them all I've two separate trips and still you know can't do it all. what i remember most is riding the subway honestly yeah so, i love the dc yeah. subway it's so fun and then you can stop in the adams morgan and get some beer at really cool pubs and stuff yeah, i didn't go there we went to smithsonian yes and i had fry bread and coke Ooh, nice. Um, I love fry bread. Yeah. 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 I went uh, to most of the Smithsonian museums. I've been a couple times and I went to the Natural History Museum. I've been there at least twice. I love that one. Yeah, I like Because it was during when we went, they were doing the um, Native American heritage. Um, oh, cool. Thing. And yeah. so that's why, like, they had all this fancy food, but then I was, surprised, I was impressed that they actually did have fry bread and Coke because that's kind of like a, you know, thing. And so that's what I got because it was like, I'm going to get that because it's the... Yeah, yeah, I get fried bread whenever I can. There used to be a food truck in my city that I moved to in Reno um, that was like a Native American like fried bread truck, but I found it online and I was really excited. And then I checked and they haven't updated their Facebook since like 2021 and it doesn't look like they're still active. So I was really mm. bummed out. I got really excited. And then I was like, oh, okay, I guess I can't go hunt With them food down. food trucks, especially if they were like a mobile food truck where they were like go to like places like for lunches or something like that. I know. Yeah. With, with COVID, they probably lost the a lot pandemic, of pandemic. Yeah. yeah. The pandemic really screwed a lot of those because they would park outside, you know, office parks mm-hmm. or whatever and then you know on thursday they're at this location and everyone goes yeah. and gets lunch there and yeah it really screwed a lot of people over i know several people who had just opened restaurants or who had owned restaurants and just lost everything because of the pandemic so mm-hmm. i mean screen door so, was in the process of opening the second location during mm-hmm. the pandemic yeah so, yeah it's a bummer So then we come back from commercial and it's 11.48 a.m. And we see scaffolding being built for the bleachers for the rededication. And Mulder and Scully arrive and Skinner's there. And Scully asks if the woman made a positive ID from the photo. And she did. And security is checking out all the vendors and workers. They also have the photo out to local law enforcement, but not to the exclusion of other suspects. And Skinner says he can't authorize a strategy targeting a soldier who's officially dead. And he spoke to the Army Forensics Lab, where Tiger's remains have been stored since the helicopter crash. Oh. Mulder's like, whoa, they have his remains? And Scully thinks that Marco may have staged all this, including the scene with the widow. And Mulder's like, why bother? And Scully says, (laughs) to create a decoy and divert their attention. And Skinner's like, Renee Davenport saw someone. I want to know who. And she's like sitting on the bench, like away from them the whole time. So Mm -hmm. Scully goes and sits with her. And then she said that Tiger made it sound like Gary was still alive. But that can't be true, can it? And Mulder's like, you said he just disappeared? And Davenport nods, saying it was so strange. He was right in front of her. And then he was just gone. And then she starts crying, wonder if Tiger was telling the truth and Gary is alive. And she's talking about, like, how she's moved on and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it was her husband, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. And so then she starts crying and her eye starts bleeding. <gasps> And she's like, oh, my God, what's happening to me? And Scully's like, oh, you, you just burst a capillary. It's fine. It's fine. Whatever. So Mulder's like, oh, Scully, come here for a minute. And so he's like, can you get Davenport an eye exam? And Scully's like, why? And Mulder's like, she says the man she saw has a knack for vanishing in plain sight. Maybe it's connected. And she's like, no, that was probably just brought in by her emotional state. And he's like, well, how did she reach that emotional state? <laughs> so Scully concedes. And it's like, what are you going to do? And Mulder says he's going to see if they're really chasing a dead man. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. 
I am not familiar with capillary bursts in the eyeball. I know they can make your eye turn blood red. I don't know that you would actually start bleeding from your eye socket like she was. I, I guess it would depend on where the capillary was. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think, those, I think those ones that they're talking about are actually the ones that are in your eye. So it's just your eye turns blood red. Um, but uh, it's TV. He needs something more dramatic, I guess. So mm-hmm. it's definitely that like hammer films, super red blood too, that they were using. I know I was going to say super bright, <laughs> very vampiric to just start yeah, look crying blood. Yeah. <laughs> so then we're at the army central identification lab and it's one twenty-two PM. Mulder meets Dr. Benjamin Kaiser, who thinks he found what he's looking for. Honestly, it's a miracle he found it because the record had been partially destroyed. So in a lab, he has Tiger's remains, which are three teeth, two bicuspids and a molar. Mulder's like, is that all there is? Because like he was thinking remains like box of bones or something. And this is a couple teeth. So he's not impressed. And he's like, can you tell how the teeth were removed? So Kaiser looks at them and says, well, given the scoring, they were pulled. And Mulder's like, how can Tigger's death be conclusive based on a few pulled teeth? And Kaiser tells him that it wasn't. Even the report says it was inconclusive. So Mulder's like, well, who signed off on the death certificate? And Kaiser said he's not sure because, like he said, the record was partially destroyed. But based on the other records filed at the same time, he can make a pretty good guess. Hmm. Suspicious. And then a phone rings in a limo, and the call is routed to the man in back, who is General Stefan. It's Mulder on the phone, and he's calling to warn him that they think his life might be in danger. The man who killed McDougal that morning may also be targeting him. And Stefan's like, based on what? (laughs) I just think it's funny that in these episodes, like, most of the military men never take these kinds of, like, threats seriously. Like, no one would threaten my life. I don't. You've been in the military. You don't think that's a possibility? I don't know. They don't because they've been in the military and they're like, I'm a high-ranking blah, blah, blah. Nothing can touch me. Yeah, I guess so. Mulder tells him it's based on a death certificate he may have signed for Sergeant Nathaniel Teeger. Stefan claims not to know anything about that and says that he's actually on the way to the Pentagon right now. Mulder says, you need to trust me and take every precaution. He asks how well he knows his driver, and Stefan says that this man drives him all the time. He knows him very well. Mulder says he's going to put two FBI agents at the Pentagon to escort him and that they have his mobile number in case anything happens. Yeah, he kind of changes. When he first takes the call, he's like, oh, (laughs) what is all this business? And then he's kind of like, oh, shit, someone's going to kill me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he does actually come around a little. I just think it's funny that every time they're like, your life might be in danger. They're always like, no. Oh, I think he comes around once Mulder says the name, mm-hmm. Nathaniel Teeger. And then he's yeah, like, well, because he it. knows yeah. that he signed a death certificate that was based on nothing. And so there's a good chance that guy is not dead. Because yeah, I could have some teeth removed and not be dead. Yeah, weirdly. Weirdly, yeah. that is possible. Yeah. So then at the Pentagon, we have a tour guide and she's asking kids if they know what a Pentagon is. So <laughs> I would be funny if one of them like the symbol of the devil. She'd be like, no, that's a pentagram. But anyway, they didn't. So. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a thing on Millennium. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one dude was in uh, the hand of Erlitz, right? So that would that's be true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. So. So then as you know, she's doing like the little tour for the kids and that kind of stuff. And then we see that Stefan enters and he's escorted by the FBI agents and they go through metal detectors. And then on the video of the metal detector, we see Tigger go in right after them. And it beeps. And the guy manning the detector turns around, but nobody is there. <gasps> and then the agents go into Stefan's office and give the all clear. And then Stefan goes inside. And he's by himself because they all wait outside, right? So they check the room and then let him go in. And then he goes in and closes the door. And he's in there all by himself because it's clear. And he finds a death card on his desk. And then Scully calls Mulder from the doctor's office. And she's with Davenport. And she says the ophthalmologist discovered that she has a transient scotoma, a floating blind spot. It can be caused by any number of diseases. And she lists a whole bunch of them, including, like, diabetes and glaucoma and all this kind of stuff. And Mulder's like, does she have any of those? And Scully's like... Doesn't look like it. So, so who knows? Um, who knows? Yeah, so that would be weird to have it if she doesn't have any of the things that usually cause it. 
but Mulder's like, well, I'm at the Pentagon, and he's going through the Pentagon metal detector, and as he's talking to Scully, she's like, I asked the doctor if the blind spot might account for Tinker's vanishing, and he laughed at me, so. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, so Scully's ideas aren't really, you know, which I think I've actually realized one of the things that bothers me so much about Scully's skepticism and her explanations is that they're usually far more complicated and necessary and often require much more like belief in the things she's trying to explain. Like usually they're like these big long like, well, they had to do this and this and this and this. And you're like, or it could just be this. And she's like, no. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, she's always got to reach because, like, Mulder's explanations are crazy, but they're also right. And so it's like she has to try and come up with reasons this wacky stuff is happening. And Yeah, I mean, I mean, I get it. Like, if you're like, oh, this guy can turn invisible, you're like, no, he cannot turn it. People don't just turn invisible. But then, like, all your explanations of how he turns invisible are, like, all these, like, crazy things that have to work. And you're like, okay, well, that's just as crazy, honestly. So, like, all these things have to happen for every single person who's involved with him. No. Yeah. Right. But then Mulder's talking to Scully and then the other line rings. And so he puts it on hold and he picks it up and it's Stefan. And he's like, I found something troubling on my desk. And Mulder's like, are the FBI agents with you? And he's like, no, they're outside. And as he's talking to Mulder on the phone, we can see that Tigger is standing right behind him in his office. <sighs> oh, no, that's not yeah. good. So apparently it wasn't clear. Mulder tells him to call the agents in. And Stefan wants to know who put the car on his desk. And Mulder's like, get the agents in the office. And then as he's talking to him, kapow, over the phone. And he's like, General Stefan, General Stefan. No response. So then Mulder bursts in the office, and it's empty, except for Stefan's body on the ground, still holding the death card with a bullet in him. And we see that Tiger is standing over Mulder. <gasps> he's, he's right over his back. And Mulder's looking at the card. And then he kind of turns back and he sees nothing and he kind of like shakes his head a little bit like hmm, my eyes. Hmm, yeah, like on? that was weird. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's commercial. Oh. <sighs> so now the office is a crime scene. And Mulder tells Scully that Stefan's secretary was in his office 15 minutes before he was shot. He never saw the card and he didn't see anyone go in or out of the office. Scully has examined Stefan's eyes and said nothing supports the narrative that he didn't see his killer, but Mulder insists he was on the phone with him when he was shot at close range in an office he believed to be empty. He asks if the general has the scotoma too, and Scully says that's beyond her capabilities to diagnose. And also he was kind of being a smart ass. Yes. So. <laughs> yes, he was. And Mulder's like, well, it's beyond all our capabilities to explain how a general was shot dead in his office in the best guarded military base in the country. <gasps> Skinner comes in and he tells them that he needs both of them to see something now. And then Skinner shows them the surveillance tape that shows Tiger walking through the metal detector. Skinner wants to know how the hell this happened. Mulder was on his way to Stefan's office, so he knew he was in danger. Mulder says he did everything he could, including putting two agents with Stefan to protect him. And Skinner is frustrated by how unstoppable Tiger seems. Because he's invisible! Mulder thinks Tiger has the ability to erase himself from the visual field. Skinner's like, well, if he's invisible, why is he appearing on the surveillance tape? He's a reverse vampire! <laughs> Mulder believes he can hide from human sight by manipulating people's natural blind spots. Scully adds that that's only conjecture. <laughs> Lol, Scully. I love that she's like, that's just a theory. I'm, not, I'm just saying. <laughs> Skinner's like, so if I'm looking at him, Mulder says you might not be able to see him. And then he mentions stories American soldiers told of unexplained disappearances and reappearances of VC guerrilla fighters in the Vietnam War. Maybe Tiger learned something from his captors. Yeah, because I know if I have someone who I'm holding as prisoner, I want to teach them all my special tricks that enabled me to capture them. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, totally. How that works. VCs, Viet Cong. Yes. You're not familiar with the whole Vietnam era stuff, which if you're a younger person, you might not be. So, yeah. yeah. Skinner says he has four miles of crowded streets and a parade heading to Freedom Square. 
if what Mulder says is true, he can't protect the military officers or anyone else. Scully's like, well, call off the parade. Mulder says it won't matter. Those men will still be targets. They have to catch Tiger. Skinner asks how. And Mulder says, by finding his next victim before he does. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. I know. So then we're at the Army Detention Center in Fort Evanston, Maryland. It's 4.08 p.m. General Block goes into an interrogation room where Markham is seated. Markham says he did it again, didn't he? And Block says, according to the FBI, Markham knows who the man they're looking for is. Maybe he can tell them why they can't seem to find him. People are dying, including soldiers who dedicated their lives to the defense of this country. And Markham's like, it's one way to look at it. <laughs> Block threatens him. <laughs> Block threatens him, saying that even if charges for homicide and treason fall through, they have enough to convict him for possession and transport of illegal arms. And so Block is offering him and his people a deal. Markham says they both know what the killer wants, and Block can't give it to him without dragging his nice, clean uniform through the mud. And Block grabs him and pushes him against the wall. And Markham's like, you can do whatever you want to me, but you can't stop him. He's sending a message and making sure it's loud and clear. Dun, dun, dun. And then we see the marching band, and they're starting the parade kickoff point. Da, da, da. There's vehicles all lined up around the parade, and there's people all watching from like grassy knolls. And one of them <laughs> is Tiger. Oh. oh. Yeah. <laughs> so at the Lincoln Memorial, Mulder meets Cova Rubius. Mulder asked her for information on American prisoners of war, but she has no information on Tiger. So Mulder's like, Well, why did you come? And she's like, well, like you. Yeah, your hair's nice. And... <laughs> she's like, why don't you tell me what you know? He tells her that Tiger has gone after the men who left him in Vietnam, Stefan and McDougal. Cova Rubius tells them that those men have a connection. There was a recent news story that exposed how a three-men commission may have purposefully left soldiers behind for dead as part of a cover-up of the disposal of bodies of Vietnam civilians who were killed. And now those men are facing charges, and their testimonies might be used to calculate reparations. Mm. Mulder realizes she's saying the U.S. government might want them dead because if they can't testify. Yeah. Mm. And Mulder's like, well, then why have the FBI protect them? And Cova Rubia says, because they know you can't. Whoa burn <laughs> she walks away and Mulder chases after her telling her that he needs the third name she's playing hard to get she likes Mulder I, can tell. <laughs> I think she does actually yeah <laughs> I definitely get those vibes for sure so back at the parade Tiger is watching the marching band as they start marching do, 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 do. Scully and Skinner run between the band members to the jeep that General Block is in and they warn him that his life may be in danger and he's like from whom and Scully sees Tigger in the crowd, and she's like, shoot her, get down. And everyone's like, Wah! ducks and runs and everything like that. But as soon as she pulls her gun out, he's gone. And Skinner's like, where is he? And Scully's like, he was there. And Skinner's like, are you sure? And she's like, I was. He was there, but apparently he's not now, and it's commercial. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> at this point, I looked at the time because I was like, okay, at least it's almost over. We're at the parade. It's probably got like five minutes left. And it was like 13 minutes or something. And I was like, oh. so, I mean, that should give you a hint on how I'm feeling about this episode. Yeah. Well, I mean, some of that is, well, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. It's just like, okay. Oh, God. All right. So we come back, and now it's 5.05 p.m., and they're preparing for General Block's speech at the makeshift stage and podium. And Mulder tells Scully that she saved Block's life. And he asks if she saw Tiger. And despite him, like, constantly being like, well, you say you saw him, she's like, I'm not sure. So she just, like, <laughs> refuses to admit that she saw him, even though she knows she saw him. But she refuses to admit that she saw him because that would mean he disappeared. So, uh -huh. she's like that. so yeah. Scully asks why Mulder thinks Block is the next target, and he says he was told it by the same person who told him they were never meant to save him or any of the generals. Skinner's like, what are you talking about? And Mulder thinks this case was dumped on Skinner, who doesn't normally handle terrorism as a setup. 
They knew about Tiger and that he'd be unstoppable. And Scully's like, well, the U.S. military isn't going to sacrifice three top men just to discredit us. Mulder says discrediting them is only secondary. They want to maintain their policy of denial about the POWs left behind, which means silencing the men who made that policy. I'm Apology. honestly surprised. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm surprised that the opening wasn't something like apology is policy or policy of denial or something like that. Like, I'm, I'm really shocked. whatever that other fucked up one was that they had. <laughs> was like... Yeah, I'm really surprised they didn't do something like that because it just seems like that's perfect for their normal. Yeah. Instead of the truth is out there. Apology is policy. <laughs> assassination is policy i don't know yeah that doesn't flow off the tongue as well so (laughs) so general block approaches and Mulder tells scully to ask him herself and he's like ask me what none of them answer he says he can't wait around any longer he's giving the keynote address in five minutes skinner suggests that he reconsider but Mulder's like he won't like (laughs) Just like right next to him. He's like, if he does, that'll mean that he's guilty. (laughs) Skinner tells him they still have reason to believe his life is in danger. Block says, well, it's your job to protect me, so you should do your job. And that's when I would have been like, oh, look at that. Look at the time. Oh, I'm off. I'm going to have overtime, (laughs) and I can't have overtime this week. Got to go. See ya, dick. (laughs) So... (laughs) The crowd applauds, and we see someone else is, like, giving an opening speech before the general comes on. So someone else is talking to the crowd. And Tiger is in the crowd. And another guy recognizes him and is like, hey, man, is that you? And then he tries to follow Tiger as he moves through the crowd. And the man ends up near some, like, scaffolding at the back. And he calls out, and he's like, hey, it's me, Leo Danzinger. Where are you? And then... Finally, Tiger appears, and Danziker's like, we thought you were dead. That's what we were told. And Tiger says, that's what they wanted you to believe. And Danziker is confused, and Tiger explains how he waited for rescue for them to come, but they never did. Danziker's like, well, maybe they didn't know. And Tiger's like, oh, they knew. They just figured it was easier to leave me to die, me and the others. And Danziker's like... You're telling me there's more? And then Tiger hands him a paper with a long list of names. And so he kind of looks down at the paper to check out the names of all the people who are apparently left behind in Vietnam and still alive, mm-hmm. presumably, at least some of them. There's a lot of them. And when he looks back up, Tiger has disappeared. <gasps> yeah, and he kind of has a vibe like, oh, like, you're going to do something. You're going to, like, there's a bomb or something going off, right? Like, you don't do that, dude. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I also kind of thought that Tiger was going to kill this guy. I did too. Yeah, I absolutely thought. Like he was going to be like, that's what they wanted you to know. But like, and you wanted to believe it and you left me there to die. Boom, you're dead. So yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. General Block takes the stage. And as he gets up there, he notices that on the podium, there's another playing card, an ace of clubs. And it's Mm -hmm. got the death card symbol on the back, the sabers and skull. So he picks it up, looks at it. And Skinner is sitting behind him off to the side, and Block starts to give his speech. And as in the opening, Mulder, Scully, and the other agents search for Tiger in the crowd. He disappears, and Skinner gets Block off the stage, just like we saw. Yeah, they literally replay the entire teaser. Like, Uh no cuts, no, like, reshoots, different angles. They just replay the entire teaser, which Mm -hmm. is kind of bad. Honestly, I think the previous scene with... um, Danziger was also Patty. And that was unnecessary. So I think they needed to puff up the story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I yeah. believe it. Yeah. So then, you know, they've got, you know, Block is being hushed off the stage and they're like trying to find Tiger. And another military official gets up and is like, hey, hey, calm down. You know, I think he was the guy who also announced that he was going to speak and that kind of stuff. And like, you know, just work in the crowd, trying to get him to calm down. And then Mulder and Scully head backstage and find Skinner and Block. And Mulder theorizes that Tiger can only hide himself from people's direct line of sight. And that's why he had to kill everybody up close, right? Because, like, he's right in front of you. You can't see him. But a little bit off to the side, you can see him. It's almost like reverse T-Rex action. Like, if you don't know, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, but then they see Skinner is about to put Block in the car. And Mulder's like, get away from the car. 
Tigger is in there. And then kapow, kapow, someone starts shooting from inside the car. So probably Tigger. Yep. Skinner drops Block to the ground, and Mulder and Scully and Skinner draw their guns and approach the car. But then Mulder's in the front, and it starts up, and so Mulder's like, why? Jumps out of the way. But then the other agents are all shooting through the windshield, and the car crashes. And then Tigger's body tumbles out of the driver's seat, and Skinner's like, get an ambulance. And Scully goes over, and she kneels next to Tigger, because she's a medical doctor. And all he does is do, like, his, you know, name, rank, service number, birth date thing, and he kind of repeats it as the camera, like, goes above. And his voice gets quieter and quieter, because he's probably going to die. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, we see Skinner and Mulder in front of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. And Mulder says the Pentagon is claiming the man they killed was Thomas Lynch, a vet who's been in and out of VA psych hospitals for the last 15 years. And Skinner knows that Lynch was also a member of the right hand on Markham's mailing list. Markham made a positive ID, and Mulder's like, they must have got to him. And Skinner says Army Forensics has confirmed it. Mulder's all agitated, and he's like, they're just covering lies with more lies. And he wants to subpoena Block and Markham and petition the State Department to release Tigger's body. But Skinner tells him the case was handed to the CID, and it's no longer their jurisdiction. He tells Mulder to let it go. Mulder's like, they're not just denying this man's life. They're denying his death. And with all due respect, sir, he could be you. And Mulder leaves, and Skinner goes up to the memorial and looks at it, and the camera zooms and focuses on the name Nathaniel Teeger. Mm-hmm. It's over. Governments lie. That's what they do. So. Yep. Yep. CID is the Army's Criminal Investigation Division. Its motto is, do what has to be done, which unsurprisingly sounds extremely problematic. So. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It was formed on September 17th of 1971, which I actually think is one year after my parents got married. I don't remember. But anyway, yeah. So speaking of dates, the date in this episode, I think is weird because it all takes place in one day on November 12th. But November 11th is Veterans Day. And it seemed like Veterans Day would have made more sense than the 12th. Mm-hmm. Stuff. Also, November 12th in 1996 was a Tuesday, in case you're wondering, which would it would have to be because this is February 1997, so it must have been November 1996. That said, I did look into it a little bit, and apparently the Vietnam Veterans Memorial was dedicated on November 13th of 1982 okay. as part of a five-day ceremony that began on November 10th, 1982. So the date, I guess, isn't as weird as I thought. So maybe they were having like the big speech. It's like at night, and then the next day was going to be the rededication possibly so mm-hmm. not as weird as i thought still weird but yeah anyway also the whole day thing is kind of interesting from the perspective that howard gordon who came up with this idea and co-wrote it with chris carter would eventually go on to executive produce and write for 24 so he actually wrote a bunch yeah. of episodes in season one season two and he apparently wrote the entire arcs for season three and four. Oh wow so yeah, I did so watch whole, season one of 24 and I enjoyed it, but it's not really my kind of thing. So I never no. really watched the rest. So, yeah, I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not. And when I say interesting, almost every time I say something is interesting, what I really mean is like I'm making connections and there's like red yarn. And is it a coincidence? Uh, uh, I don't yeah. really mean it's interesting because usually I don't really care. It but, is kind of interesting, but yeah. I mean, the thing is, though, if I watched this episode and someone was like, oh, yeah. That guy wrote a lot of 24, so I guess it makes sense that he's doing a one-day episode. I would not be interested in watching 24 after this. No. I'd be like, nope. Um, I found this episode just really boring. Like, at first, the concept was interesting. I thought the scene with Renee Davenport was interesting because just her reaction was really good. Obviously, learning that someone you love may not actually be dead and may just be, like, a prisoner of war for the last 20 years is, like, a terrifying, horrifying thing. I guess I'm... I'm very tired of the whole, like, military complex soldiers come back and they're, you know, all trying to get vengeance. Like, it reminds me a lot of, um, what's the episode with the guy <laughs> with no limbs who was astro-projecting? And, the like, walk? People? The walk, yes. Yeah. And I did not like that one either. And I just, I don't know. Like, the concept is fine, but in execution, it was just way more boring than it should have been when you've got a guy who can, like, manipulate sight and hide mm-hmm. 
Well, and also we had we had we had Sleepless, which was also Sleepless yes. was Vietnam soldiers. The Walk was actually the Gulf War, the first Gulf yes. War. Yes, so but it's it still Vietnam. soldiers coming back from right. vengeance, right? Yeah, and then Skinner's whole thing is Vietnam too, like that's his history, right? He's yes. in the Vietnam War, so yeah. I just, I don't know. It's not my favorite topic anyway. And then this one, I just feel like it raised a lot of questions too. Like, they're like, Mulder's like, well, you have to be like right up close to him, but like how close? Because no one saw him in the office. No one saw him in the back of the car. So like, what's the, no one saw him walking through the metal detector or at least no mm-hmm. one who mattered, yeah. who I guess was close. I just feel like it creates a few questions about what his ability actually is. Well, it, it 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 goes into that X Files almost. You get all the powers. Like yeah, falls into that category a little bit. It's a little bit. I was thinking about it. It's a little bit like Pusher. Yes, a little yes. bit where it's like you're suggesting, but he's not really actually suggesting. Remember Pusher's thing was like he could he could like the cadence of his voice would lull you into like a hypnotic state or whatever uh-huh. kind of thing. But then later he's just walking around with like a little badge, <laughs> post-it note, and people are like, oh, hey, that's cool. not even saying anything, but like people are just like, yep, that's uh-huh. cool. So it was yeah. like suddenly the power like shift, right? And so I think the same thing is here. It's like, oh, we need to do this. When they do the digital effects of him literally disappearing, that is not good. They should have just figured out some other way to do that. It's like, yeah, I mean, you know. I can I can forgive that. That kind of thing doesn't bother me so well, much. They did I can suspend disbelief, but they did it. They did it two ways because they did it with Mulder, and they did it with Scully too. Where like you would see him, and then you would cut, and then you would cut back, and like it would be someone else in that place. And it was so fast, it was like, whoa, he disappeared. But then later, it's just like they do like the digital wipe, and you're like, oh, that didn't look great. But yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Just, you know, again, less is more, right? You just, just, you don't have to use all the fancy tools just because you have them. So, okay, I'm going to telepathically send you what I think you're going to vote this episode. Oh, okay. So, um, don't, <laughs> are you, are you looking at the spreadsheet? I am not looking at the spreadsheet. Okay, so I am actually going to type it into the spreadsheet, okay. and then you say it, and then you can look at the spreadsheet and see if I was right. Okay. So I will not change it. So I think I'm going to give this one a three. Oh! Oh, man, I didn't want to go that low. I said four. Oh, yeah, no, I just, man, I was not. Because, you okay. know, and, like, I was watching this and writing the recap, and I kept, like, pausing it and doing other because i was bored <laughs> it's like oh let me go do some dishes for a little bit and i'll come back and like i just i really it was a struggle to get through this one because like i just i was bored by the episode i didn't enjoy it like it wasn't the worst most egregious thing they've ever done but like man for something that has an invisible soldier i was like this is very boring yeah i was thinking i was gonna give it a four but now that i go back and look I think I might have to do a three also. <laughs> you just don't I, want to rate it higher than me. <laughs> well, there's that. But then also I'm looking like I gave Taliko a three. Uh-huh. And I gave Sanguinarium a three. And I gave Tunguska a three. But I gave like Terma a four. And I gave El Mundo Hira a four. And then I gave Leonard Betts a three. And I'm like, oh, man, I I think maybe three would be more accurate. I think maybe I was trying to be more generous. Um, so I think I'm going to go with a three also. Okay. So, yeah. It's not that I'm afraid to rate things higher than you. I've rated things higher than you before. I, I know. I just so, said that you didn't want to. <laughs> you know. No, that's, yeah, I don't care. You know me. I don't care. So. Um, uh, yeah, no. I, I gave just, home I was, a six and you gave it a I, four. So, you know. I hey. was being funny. I was being funny. I know that. Oh, but yeah, this episode gotcha. is not good. So. <laughs> so I mean, I mean some, that's I, the thing. It's not. It's not terrible. It's just it's not bad. It's just dull. not good. It's not yeah. It's dull. It's boring. Like, eh, okay. I think they padded. They had to do a lot of padding on this one. Yes. Different. Yeah. I think that didn't help because I think there was a lot of padding. Like we have to watch the opening twice, which is never a good thing. Yeah. And then there's a couple of scenes that I'm like, okay, this scene doesn't even need to exist, really. Uh-uh. And it's kind of like, yeah, it's like you had an idea, and then you were like, oh, but it's got to take up how many minutes? Fuck. Uh huh. 
Like, I did think the scene with Coverbius was funny and just like kind of like it was interesting because you're like, oh, well, that explains why. But also it was just kind of a last minute, like, why would they let him get away with killing generals? Oh, because it will cost them money because everything's terrible. Um, I thought the scene with Benjamin Kaiser, the doctor, was interesting just because the whole like the way Mulder reacts to like, these are the body parts. You're kidding me. Mm-hmm. This is official. The doctor's like, no, I'm telling you, the records were kind of destroyed. I don't know why it was signed off. Like, I thought that was interesting. But otherwise, yeah, I was pretty bored through most of it, to be honest. So, yeah, the doctor was good. He was a good he was a good dude. I like. Yeah. Him. Yeah, yeah, me too. He could have, he, you could see him being maybe like a recurring guy helping them out. He's like, wow, like I found this and it had been like, good thing. Cause it was like, it looked like someone tried to burn it. Yeah. And then like, and look, they just totally ignored what it says here on this document. So it wasn't like he was trying to like cover it up or anything. That was pretty cool. No, no, he's on their side. Yeah. He's just trying to figure out what's going on as well. Yeah. He kind of, he kind of had that same vibe as the, uh, the dude in Kaddish, like the book oh, dude. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A little yeah. bit, yeah. Like it's like, like okay, maybe I, like if I were if you were to explain your theory, I would maybe think you were a little loopy. But I'm gonna help you out because like it's just it's just I'm just giving you information. Like here's the information. Do what you do with it, whatever. So, yep. But yeah, it's not really a great episode. And then also like we talk about like the whole war stuff, and we just came off an episode of Millennium. Uh-huh. Um, that is, is again, it's not the same kind of story, but it no. does involve like Vietnam and involves the death cards. And it's just like, ugh. and it also wasn't a really great episode. So it's just kind of no, like, yeah. oh, this again, joy. I actually watched this one first. So either way, it wasn't, I wasn't excited to yeah, see it's that. It's kind of funny because we both really like Kaddish. And then this one was kind of like, ugh. And it's mm-hmm. like basically the same dude. So. Yeah, I mean, Chris Carter totally painted it and ruined it. So, who knows? I mean, listen, every writer (laughs) is going to have stuff that's not as good as the rest. Everyone's got the clunky. And I mean, honestly, if you take like the entirety of Howard Gordon's work, like, I am not interested in like 99% of what he's done. I just have no interest in it whatsoever. And so, this is kind of like, this is actually probably closer to like his larger body of work than Uh it is. So sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that was unrequited, which was not about a, a love potion or romance gone wrong or anything. It was just. I mean, I guess he just culture. wanted the love of his country. Yeah. But, but even then, so. they kind of turn that because it's not like he's taking revenge on people. It's like another part of the government is using him to 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 use his revenge. To like cover up shit, so he's being used when it's like there's like layers of this shit. It's like an onion, uh-huh. like yeah, he's being used by the government to help cover the up the conspiracy that left him for dead in the first place. It's like whoa, okay, this is yeah, and it seems like he's unaware that he is being used to do that. Yes, honestly, so yeah. yeah. And then in the end, they cover up his death anyway and say he's someone else, and he you know mm-hmm. officially died in Vietnam anyhow. So. Yeah, I mean, we don't know. Maybe they're right. Maybe it's maybe it's honest. Maybe he had reconstructive surgery to look at the dude who was dead so that he could be an assassin. <laughs> so when they were like, look, the assassin, this person would be like, oh, no, he's dead. Look, we got three teeth. And like, oh, crap. Well, it can't be him then. What are we supposed to do? So, you know, I mean, that's a good ploy. Yeah. That sounds like a Scully theory right there. It's like, oh, look, they, they made all this stuff. But yeah. Anyway. Oh, dear. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. That's right. We made this. We also make a bonus X-Files adjacent podcast that you should definitely check out because it is not a military conspiracy to hide that there are living people in Vietnam that we left behind and just declared dead with some teeth. At least that's what I want Tori to believe. (laughs) But whatever you do, tell a friend. We'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time, and together we'll try to figure out if if the the truth truth is still still out there. The truth is what we make of it.
Dun, 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 dun. That was a good one. Yeah. Good ending. Yeah. Oh, man. I am hungry. I'm going to grab a snack. Okay. Mm. Let's end it, and then I will meet you in a few minutes. Okay. I'm going to go get some oxygen. Oh. Yeah. I discovered that when we do these long sessions and we take breaks, I usually just hang out in here. And then afterwards, I feel weird. And I think I'm depriving myself of oxygen because I get so animated in here that I'm sucking all the oxygen out of the closet. Yeah. If nothing else, it's, you know, fresh air is probably good. So. Yeah. So. All right. All right.